This is a CBC Podcast. Flight 2018 from Pyeongchang now boarding. If ever the Olympics delivered a perfect beer commercial, John Montgomery owns it. Fresh off his skeleton win at Whistler on national television, he had a hearty glug from a draft pitcher as he strode to collect his gold medal. Since then, capturing perfect moments has become John Montgomery's specialty. Showcasing Canadian beauty as host of The Amazing Race, and at these games, giving viewers a perfect understanding of skeleton racing. John and I caught up here in Pyeongchang as another busy Olympic day got underway. I am Kelly Vanderbeek. This is PYC Podcast. We've got to kick it off with your iconic Canadian moment that made you a household. <laughs> Olympic gold in Vancouver. I'm pretty sure everybody remembers, but really it was a fan handing you a bucket of beer and yep. you chug it down and it was just so Canadian. Can you walk us through that? I had a question just yesterday from Edmonton going, was that beer pitcher a plant? And I had to reply to him, no. Uh, it was an English girl who was, or an English woman rather, who was in Whistler visiting her brother who was working at a pub in that village square area. And her other brother who didn't live in England either was, they were all congregating on Whistler to share some family time together and the amazingness that is the Olympics. And I think being English, she could recognize a thirsty lad when she saw one. And I think that's what she perhaps saw in me coming down the gondola. And she grabbed a pitcher of beer that her brother poured for her behind the, behind the pub or behind the bar there and brought it out and thrust it right past a RCMP officer and into my waiting hand. And it was sort of like destiny. I was like, I'm really thirsty. I'd really like a beer. And then, oh, here's this beer. And I refer to her as my, my beer angel. And I've got to do something for this woman. She, I've, I've made an attempt to get together with her. She has also recently had a little dude. And they came back to Canada in the fall to visit family. And we attempted to get together. We have been able to share emails and um, become familiar with one another other than in that moment. And I'm going to strive to repay that debt someday. And I think with interest, oh, Lord, she's got a couple kegs coming to her because that beer... <laughs> was the liftoff point for certain parts of my life and yeah. at least giving context to a moment. Now, you know, lots of athletes have Olympic moments and great sporting successes, but there's sometimes not that tangible link to connect the memory uh, to the moment. And uh, for whatever reason, I think that beer moment has had ripple effects that I'll maybe never even know. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, you're now hosting Amazing Race Canada. You've also hosted the Junos. But even that moment that was what attracted the producers of Amazing Race. They wanted your cadence, your uniqueness, your so Canadianness, but yet just a little off. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to be a little bit off to do skeleton in the first place, but I think you're being too kind. What I think they really needed, the producers, they wanted a host that would do the stunts and the challenges. And so they needed to find a, well, a simple bugger that would be like, yeah, I'll do that. Yes, please <laughs> sign me up. And I've paid to do most of those things. Uh, and now I'm getting to do them with the show and... Uh, You're getting paid to do them. Well, yeah, modest amounts. It's Canadian TV. We're not uh, living in the States south of the 49th parallel, but it is incredibly rewarding, mm -hmm. and it uh, helps me feed my core business, which is still telling stories about 2010 and my Olympic journey, and that will come to an end one day. I know that people will stop asking me to come to their events, but I'm really trying to ride this wave and, uh, and pump it for, for all that it's worth because... 
Well, it's a, it's a great way to make ends meet, and it's allowed me to have some freedom to explore some other opportunities. And if I didn't explore these other opportunities while I was riding this wave, uh, I'd find myself on the beach uh, looking back out at the water going, oh, I have nothing to do now. So I'm, I'm trying to create that, that, that something next. And while I'll never replace skeleton racing, uh, I hope to find something that I'm equally passionate about. You mentioned that on Amazing Race you do these stunts. Well, Karina LeBlanc, she's a CBC reporter here. She's covering sliding <laughs> in the mix zones. Yep. And in Whistler, she tried, you know, she tried the bobsleigh, <laughs> she tried luge. They just kind of threw her down. And then she tried skeleton. She said she, she got up and she just said, no, <laughs> I, no, I, I call it here. And that's like, I am not doing that ever again. Like it, it terrified her. Can you walk us through the sensations of just being a skeleton athlete, hurtling down this ice sheet and these banked walls headfirst? Well, I was surprised by that. Actually, I actually bet her five to one. I gave her the odds that she would pick skeleton as her favorite, but it's, it's not for everybody. And for me, it was the, the hook. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I knew that I would love it. I didn't even have to try it. I just, I, I had needed to get my eyeballs on it. And it was in February of 02 where I saw it for the first time. And because I didn't know what it was, I thought it was a horrible luge accident. I thought this guy was going down the track the wrong way. The wrong way. And I was beside myself. And then I saw another athlete and another athlete and another athlete. And I'll never pretend to be the sharpest tool in the shed. But they're doing it on purpose. I could sense a trend here. Uh -huh. And so I went inside. And this was one week after it had been uh, reintroduced as a full metal sport at the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. And I tried it the next week. I, I didn't ask for permission to leave work early that day. I just left because I knew I might not get it. Uh, so it's better to beg for forgiveness sometimes than it is to ask for permission. So I buggered off down into Calgary to the Canada Olympic Park and I took my first run. And I'll never forget it for as long as I live. It was a complete assault on my senses. When you start skeleton racing, it's an incredibly long and complex and uh, uh, detailed orientation process they say hang on and don't do anything that's it that's all you have to know and that's it, that, there's not many things in life that you can experience for the first time maybe except for a roller coaster uh, that you just sit there and you kick back and then you're like okay if I do anything it's gonna be worse than uh, not doing anything. So just do nothing, so, keep so your hands on the sled. At the top though, like what, at the high end, what do you do? Because there are nuances oh, of course. to steering. And yeah. I mean, there's obviously people who win and win consistently. So, yep. so what do they do? Can you describe the movements that actually define a good skeleton athlete? There are no moving parts on the sled. So it no. all is influenced by your body and your ability to torque the sled essentially. The back half of the runner. So you've got the front half, which is essentially just round tube steel. And then the back half has two grooves milled into it. The two grooves create a high point on the very apex of the runner. That's the spine. That's what we engage into the ice. And that's the only bit of control that we'll have to navigate these corners. And so we don't have the same level of control as luge and bobsleigh. And if you are letting the sled run too much, you're probably going to be sloppy and banging around. And if you're steering it too much, you're going to be having maybe okay lines, but poor times. Mm -hmm. And so the... I guess walking that fine line between being completely out of control and doing just enough is where you want to find yourself torquing the sled underneath your body using your shoulders and knees to subtly navigate the corners. You want to be able to link the corners up so that you've got a straight descent from one uh, and an entrance into the other because the shortest distance between two points is always a straight line. And if you can achieve that in skeleton racing without doing very much work, uh, you're going to be fast and you can steer as with as little impetus as with your eyeballs. Mm -hmm. 
If you look early to a corner, your head will have a natural tendency to look towards that corner. The side of your head that you're turning to will obviously catch a little bit more air and help you drift towards a corner. That's when you've got the time. Sometimes you need to throw out an anchor and throw it all down, torque the sled, throw the knee in, the shoulder, and then drop a toe. And that exists in the world where you have to steer that hard. So it's recognizing where and when to do those things. Here in Korea, they've caught skeleton fever. It yeah. Seems like. How could With they not? A, a Sun Bin Young, I mean, unbelievable. His, his performance here, his consistency. Did you see that coming? What, is there a, a way to um, quantify his uh, meteoric rise? No, not really, because he's unlike almost any other skeleton athlete. The rest of us have come from some sort of sporting pedigree. You, I came from hockey. Lots of the athletes come from rugby. It has a, the sport lends itself to athletes who have been beat up and who have taken a lick and who need to get back up after that lick and keep on racing. And at a 200 meter or a 100 meter or a 60 meter dash, the guy in the lane next to you is probably not gonna lay you out, body check you, or even lay a hand on you. So the, the track athletes always, don't always make the greatest transition. The athletes who have taken a beating seem to be able to the one, be the ones who make the transition. But Sung Bin Yun, he has no sporting background. Like when you ask him, what sports did you used to play? He'll be like, no sports. And they're like, okay, well, no sports like skeleton? And he's like, no, no sports. Like, he didn't do anything. And so the guy is a physical leviathan. He's a beast. He has amazing power to be able to have the fastest starts in the world, which sets him up for success right away. He's also been able to, you know, really get his brain wrapped around the subtleties of driving. And he does just enough to achieve those great lines. And so he is your prototypical skeleton athlete moving forward. You mentioned uh, some people coming from like a legacy in the sport and the Dukers family, the yep. brothers. Uh, you actually finished just ahead of Martin's Dukers, putting him into silver. Barely. Barely. Seven hundredths of a second. How happy are you that you were inside <laughs> of those honeys? Yep. Um, and then Sochi, he was silver again. Is it's hard to keep up track of everything that's happening with the Russian doping scandal. Is yep. is he gonna get upgraded to gold? I don't know. I have no idea, honestly. And to be honest with you, to say that Alex Trechikov cheated, whole, uh, you know, hands down, you could never say that. And that guy, if you knew him, you would know that that is so outside the norm uh, for his personality. You know, he doesn't need to. He is different than other athletes in his physiology and his ability to push at the top of the track. And he's had great success years and years and years and years. It wasn't just a coming out of the blue type of performance in yeah. Sochi. And so we do understand that there was a state-sponsored doping program, and we do know that some athletes cheated and had help cheating. Uh, but to say unequivocally that Alex Trechikov was one of them, I could never say that, and I, it goes against his personality. And when you look at these skeleton athletes, I'm not talking about the bobsledders, I think what Zubkov made, uh, the comments that he made to the media uh, upon the IOC reinstating some of the athletes was pretty telling. Zubkov has stole both of his gold medals stripped and he's been, uh, you know, permanently banned from the sport. They didn't reinstate him. And he said the athletes uh, who are clean have been vindicated. And he didn't include himself in that bunch. So Zubkov cheated. I think he essentially admitted to that. But I think what he was trying to say was there's a whole bunch of athletes here within the Russian Sliding Federation that didn't. And so to throw them all into the same boat... Uh, it's really tough, and I feel so bad for Martins Dukers. I feel so bad for all of the other athletes in that competition who now have doubt about what that Olympic experience 
meant and it's been tarnished forever there's no taking that back but how do you penalize a guy whom you don't even know if he was part of the scandal you don't e he didn't certainly have a conscious choice to make a decision you know the young guy from Siberia Alex Trechikov he's been sliding since he was 18 he knows nothing else and you hear about how they defend themselves in the media they're using words like honor and family and they don't use that same rhetoric that cheaters use like the um, uh, Lance Armstrong's I've been tested so many times I've never tested positive you know they're avoiding the issue uh, the Michael Johnson or not Michael Johnson's but uh, you know the old sprinters they were all cheating and they were all juicing and the way that they defend themselves is so much different I find than the athletes who are in fact innocent and these skeleton athletes in the US Federation are going to the hilt to say we are clean uh, my family's honor is on the line here I've worked so hard for so long to achieve this and it's being taken from me um, and my my reputation has been sullied and you know whether it's just smart talking I, I don't think so I don't think that they have that type of a mentality there but they're saying the things that make me believe that they weren't involved at least on a conscious level and I don't know I really don't know honestly yeah. and no, it's no, so it's, tough it's to all, I was just curious because it's, it's hard to keep track of it but yeah I feel bad for everybody else. Martin's Duker specifically, you know, he'll always have that coulda, shoulda, woulda doubt. Certainly about 2010, uh, he made a small driving error coming from exit of corner seven to the entrance of corner nine, which allowed me to, I guess, uh, advance my time on him at the bottom half of the track because he didn't have uh, the entrance to corner nine in Whistler is the gateway to the speed at the bottom of the track. And I knew instantly that he would begin to lose time to me, whether the track was long enough or not. Uh, remained to be seen and sure enough it, the track was just long enough just but long enough. he's gonna have this yeah 700 is long enough he's gonna have this 2014 experience haunt him for the rest of his days unfortunately mm -hmm. and that's too bad because he's the single one of the single greatest athletes period well, I, th I think people will know that especially within his world yeah that care about I him, hope so, so. I, I really hope so yeah and I can hear the, the emotion in your voice that you can care about a competitor that much, but I understand that. And our women's skeleton, they've put in so much effort and yep. time. Uh, Liz Bacci, Mimi Reneva, Jane Chanel, like they they are really elevating skeleton to um, just a new level within Canada, an awareness, yep. an acceptance of the sport. Where do you see them uh, sliding towards? <laughs> Well, I think they're headed towards uh, some pretty great things. They're not an old crew by any stretch of the imagination, especially in terms of sliding world. You know, uh, you seem to be like fine wine in Skeleton and Luge, and maybe not so much bobsleigh. Uh, so you get better well, with age. You do get better it. with age. And, and you so know why what? Why did you retire? You're oh, not even 40. Come it's on. tough on the brain, but <laughs> yeah. I see 2026 on the horizon. I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I can rest up this old bucket of mine and uh, do some equipment development over the next four years here. And I would certainly need to do some equipment development by based on what we're seeing happening at the skeleton track this weekend. And uh, or hopefully they level the playing field and just give everybody the same stuff, same sled, same runner, same suit, because it is becoming a bit of an arms race. And they had that in the past. They standardized the steels. But then what they do with the steels uh, and what's happening. So there's always been this big fat question mark in the sport of skeleton racing and the sliding world luges level the playing field they say you can do whatever you want but in bobsleigh and skeleton you cannot treat your runners you can't touch them with anything but sandpaper 
and people are always wondering what others are doing. And you've got some sometimes questionable performances, poor lines, uh, substandard pushes, and superior performances at the bottom of the track. And so that always leaves people going, hmm, what do I need to do to be competitive? Uh, so if I ever wanted to get back into it, I would certainly have to start thinking about equipment first, body second, and then my relationship with my wife third, uh, <laughs> because that would need to be managed. <laughs> And, and these Canadian women, do you think here in Pyeongchang, where do they sit? Where do you think they are emotionally and also just on a basic equipment able to compete? Well, we don't have anything uniquely Canadian. Uh, we haven't been able to produce equipment in Canada that has allowed us to say, yes, this is something that is going to give us an advantage. Uh, we have to procure our equipment from everywhere else in the world. And there are a lot of nations that have their own homegrown programs. And so... Yeah, there probably is a bit of an equipment deficiency there. The women are on point, though, in terms of their physical abilities. I would say that the Canadian women are as complete a sliding package as any other woman in the event from anywhere else in the world. You look at the Germans, phenomenal sliders, great lines, uh, just substandard pushes, like really poor pushes, and they still win at the bottom of the track. So their ability to slide and navigate those corners is, ex uh, is exceptional. But our Canadian girls have a leg up on them because they have the push. Now, if they can stitch it all together, they're going to be there. Metal threats for every single race, just like Jacqueline Lowling is right now, just like Tina Herman is right now. And those are the German girls that they're chasing. Um, but I think today they're probably disappointed. I hope not defeated because there's always a chance in sport to, as we call in leap, uh, we call in skeleton leapfrog and pick up some spots on the women that are in front of you and they have that possibility because it is a tricky track and it's tough to be fast here all the time in Pyeongchang they can leave the skeleton track in Alpensia with their head held high knowing that they did a good job going home the Canadian girls have to be proud of what they've done the Canadian girls were exceptional they maybe didn't realize the performances that they were hoping for here in Pyeongchang but um, there is another quadrennial. Liz Vathji is so young. She could go to three more games. I think she's 23 years old. Are you kidding me? On top of the world right now, in terms of abilities, she has the goods. Whether she has the heart to continue to go, she has other interests. So I will never discount that or, or look um, poorly upon a decision that an athlete makes to move on with life because uh, it's not always about sport and yeah. it, the sporting world is an incredibly selfish pursuit of excellence and you have to be so selfish and if she has any interest in having a family I know that she's getting married soon and I think that maybe that's something that's on her mind um, you kind of have to put sport on the back burner if you want to be able to give all of yourself to having a family mm -hmm. what's your favorite Olympic moment so far here in Pyeongchang at least a young family. You have to get past the first <laughs> year. I shouldn't say that. I mean, I know lots of people successfully do it. Um, my favorite sporting moment in Pyeongchang here, uh, excuse me, in uh, here in Pyeongchang has been, hmm, that's a tough one. I would have to say the luge performances, the team race, you know, because I know these people. They're from my sliding world. And I've been privy to the upward battle that they've faced, that they've just diligently slugged through and honorably. and honorably slugged through i mean they were in a sport where german women had swept the podium for 99 races aaron hamland got a um, bronze medal a few years ago at a world championship race in lake placid 
effectively ending that streak, which I thought was pretty cool at 99. They didn't get to 100. I like that. Um, and then Eric, um, Alex Goff, you know, she was the one that displaced the German from the top of the podium. The first person, the first person to do it in, I believe, 110 races. And that was, that was amazing. For Alex Goff to be able to accomplish that is phenomenal. And to be that person that made history. That's amazing. And then Sam Edney, you know, really making his ascent to the upper ranks of the sliding world and the upper echelon. And then the doubles luge team, helping them in the team relay race secure that silver medal was just, yeah, that was awesome. It was very special. And I think yep. all of Canada recognized that moment for the history making moment it was in and of itself. But then the context around it just added to that storyline, like the beer picture of beer. And on that <laughs> note, how's the beer? The beer is uh, pretty good here. I've been drinking, uh, well, different brands from different areas of the world. And I figure when you're international, you better be international. Don't be looking for micro brews back home. First of all, you're not going to find the stuff that you might be looking for. Uh, they did import some Molson Canadian here, so I have been getting a sampling of some home brew. But um, it's not cheap either. So we have been, uh, you know, sampling the world getting our international passport punched excellent well thank you so much for this john my pleasure thank you for having me have a great rest of the olympic games uh, i'll be watching you when i get home and cheering loud for our canadian athletes and learning maybe how to become a better broadcaster not maybe definitely learning how to become a better broadcaster from you and and craig so thanks very much that was john montgomery recorded here in pyeongchang email your comments to us at pyc podcast at cbc.ca and for social media hashtag cbc pyc podcast ken wolf is the executive for this project pyc podcast is mixed by andrew morales and david giddens is the producer i'm kelly vanderbeek thanks for listening For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.